Hey guys, it's Lori here. Before we get rolling with the podcast episode today, I did want to let you know about two different things. One, you know that we got a book coming out this fall, and if you are interested in staying up to date with things like uh, the launch team or when we're going to have that launch party, which... I hope will still happen. We're praying for it. Uh, but it's going to be a live podcast recording. If you want to stay up to date with that date and how to get to be a part of it and other things, go to our site, lorikrieg.com. Scroll down to the bottom and just drop your first and last name in there and email address, and we will keep you in the loop. Also, do you know that we're doing coaching? I've actually been doing this for several years, and uh, I'm doing it now, just calling it coaching instead of I guess consulting is what I called it before. But if you're interested in that, again, check it out, lorikrieg.com slash store. And I meet with people for one, two, or three sessions. And it's a way to support the the ongoing work of this ministry and for me to listen to the Holy Spirit and uh, with what's going on with you. And honestly, my primary goal with any relationship in this coaching world is to connect your heart to the heart of Jesus. So we'll just listen to that, listen to God, and see if that's a help for you. So check it out. But here we go. Here's the episode. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 124, The Enneagram and Marriage. Hey, welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am here in studio for the first time yes. in literal months. Good to have you back. Steve, it's good to see you. <laughs> I came in masked up and gloved up, yep. and sadly, I'm not alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt, but he is with the kids because you can't really get babysitters in this pandemic life. But I am alongside that voice you already heard, the one and only producer and the most professional radio voice among us forever, producer Steve. Hi, guys. <laughs> Even through his hazmat suit, still sounding <laughs> glorious. Uh, but guys, I am so excited to finally have an episode dedicated to the Enneagram, which we've alluded to no less than 10,000 times on this podcast. Uh, and it's become such a part of the vernacular. You know, some people, whatever, roll their eyes at it. I think it's great, and I think it can be such a helpful tool, especially in the way that we're going to be talking about it with our two guests today who do it from such a gospel-centered and just very normal, like we say normal, like it's not weird the way that they they talk about it. Um, but we, I'm really excited that they're going to unpack its relationship to marriage, the marriage dynamic. But those of you who are single and listening, which I... I'd guess it's at least half of our audience. Just know that this is going to be applicable to you as well in your close relationships. And how do I know that? Well, I've been reading their book and I'm applying it not only to my marriage, but my close friendships. And it's been such a gift. But who are those guests? Who's the set of guests that we've got today? We have Beth and Jeff McCord. Welcome, friends. Hey, it's great being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So glad to have you. And for you listeners who don't know Beth and Jeff, they are the founders of Your Enneagram Coach, a community designed to be a safe place for individuals to explore a Christ-centered Enneagram. Through their teaching, they guide individuals, couples, and groups to self-awareness and life-enhancing growth. And they wrote Becoming Us using the Enneagram to create a thriving gospel-centered marriage. And that's what we're going to explore today. And if you've heard me say Enneagram 10 times already and you don't know what it is, we'll talk about that. But in this book, the McCords combine their more than 20 years of marriage wisdom, pastoral experience, and Enneagram studies to provide a roadmap for couples to break free from unhealthy patterns, align their marriage with the gospel, and grow into the couple God designed them to be. And they live in Nashville, Tennessee with their kids, Nate and Libby, and their dog at their feet, as they alluded to when we were doing sound checks. Uh, we're so thrilled to get to know you guys more. But first, let's do that in a non-Enneagram marriage dog-related way, unless 
that relates to this somehow, but through our question of the week from last week, which is, what word do you often misspell where you're like, your phone just breaks because audio autocorrect is like, no, you're super off. So Beth and Jeff, which word? Well, the one that comes up for me is curriculum. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> RR somewhere. C. Is there yes. two U's like vacuum? <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's right. Yeah. It Absolutely. gets me every time. And, and autocorrect doesn't even help. It's like, I don't even know what word you're trying to spell. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, yeah, Beth? That's true. I would say the first that comes to my mind, which there are plenty, um, is maintenance. Oh, yeah. It's oh, so yeah. simple. But for some reason, I just get tripped up on it. I don't even know why. But <laughs> there it is. That's Lots of owls. Steve-O. Uh, yeah. So I liked what Missy said on Facebook license every time. C-S. It's the C and the S. Yeah. And I, I, I know it's wrong once I see it spelled mm-hmm. out in front of me, but I'm like, ah, oh, how is it that I constantly do it wrong? <laughs> You're like, my driver's paper thing. (laughs) I could say certification, but I can't say license. I don't know. I mean, I'm literally trying to help spell check understand what I'm typing. Yes. I, I feel like I'm coaching spell check <laughs> along because I'm so far off. Well, that's why it's so great having our phone now where we can just say the word. Yeah, yes. that's it right. Will, it will help us. <laughs> oh, there's a little yeah, I saw tip. my daughter the other day uh, finishing up a paper for her uh, school semester and she was transcribing it into her phone. I thought, well, that would have been nice. Ooh, oh, yeah. Genius. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I appreciated this from Stacy on Facebook. She said, I misspell exercise so much, my spell check doesn't even bother with it anymore, <laughs> which is exactly how I feel about the word exercise. Yeah. And I just have to try and find a different word. It's the C's and the S's, and, and it doesn't a- make there's sense. There's an X in there, too. There's an X. You're like, feels, I don't know. It feels extra. It does feel extra. <laughs> Good one, Steve. <laughs> Matt's not even here to snicker with you. I know. Oh, man. Beth and Jeff, we ask every guest or guest set of guests this set of questions, which is gospel-focused. And you guys are gospel-focused, but it's if the gospel is, I'm more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe, when was that gospel first good news for you guys, and how is it still right now? Well, mine goes back to 1982, mm. <laughs> long time ago, <laughs> when I was eight years old. So I was at um, Canacuck Camps, uh, and Richard Beach, who was one of the directors then, he gave the gospel message, and I just knew immediately, like, that is what I need. That's what my heart longs for, is to is to be renewed, to be saved, because I knew I made mistakes, um, but what great message it was that Christ redeemed and saved me. So that goes all the way back to then, and man, is it still applicable today. And I just grow in my knowledge and understanding of how much I still need him all the more. And how he's always there for me to not only remove sins, but give me his righteousness on a continual basis. Mm. Yeah, my my story was quite a little bit different than Beth's. Uh, Beth had grown up in a Christian home, um, very supportive parents. My story had a bit of tragedy in it and sorrow. And so it wasn't until much later in high school when I became a Christian. But I found that over since that time, I guess it was like 91, 92 is when I uh, first became a follower of Jesus. But I remember being in seminary. Beth and I had been married about six years, and we were just totally missing each other. And 
I remember being in the parking lot, uh, ironically, with a bag of trash on top of the car because I was taking it to the dumpster. And I, a, a hymn came on called Jesus, I Come. Mm. And the, the motif of the hymn was, I, I'm coming out of my sorrow, my despondency, my fear, and I'm Jesus, I come. And that the that I'm always welcome, and it dramatically shook and rearranged my interior world, recognizing that even after years of following Jesus, I can still come alive to all that He is for us, and so and that uh, precipitated us finding out about the Enneagram, and so as we were going through gospel renewal, let's say, uh, we were also beginning to understand each other in a new way. So let's talk about that. Enneagram, what, what is it and, and why did it become such a grip for you guys that a helpful tool? Yeah. So the Enneagram is basically a way of understanding yourself on a much deeper level. Cause it's really what it's getting to is why you think, feel and behave in particular ways where a lot of personality tests um, or assessments out there really focus on what you do. This is getting to the core, like your core motivations. And so how I explain it to people is think of it as your internal GPS. Each person has a main Enneagram type. There are nine of them. Um, now we use all nine types to varying degrees, but the one reigns supreme and you have core motivations that are um, kind of motivating you in a particular way of thinking, feeling and behaving. And so that is your current location on your GPS. Um, and so that's where your starting point is. And then you have a healthiest destination. I mean, God created us to reflect him beautifully. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also gave us our own personality and our own way of being our own story. And there is a healthier way of living that out. And we call that being aligned with the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And when we're aligned, we are going to live out that truth in such a dynamic way. But we're on this side of heaven, so we often fall asleep at the wheel or get distracted, and that's when we can veer off course and fall off the road into common pitfalls. And we can get really discouraged because we see ourselves doing that same thing over and over again. I know for me, many years ago when I was starting to learn the Enneagram, I kind of wondered, is there any growth happening in my life? Like, am Mm. am I a Christian? Like, what's going on? Like, I keep doing the same thing. But that's where the Enneagram is really powerful because it says, yeah, when you're struggling, your personality style is going to go in this specific direction. And when you're growing, the Holy Spirit is guiding you in this specific direction. And so I use that um, as a warning, as a heads up. So what we say is we use the Enneagram like a rumble strip on the highway. Before you veer off course and fall into that ditch, wouldn't it be great if you had awareness of, oh, if I keep thinking, feeling, and behaving in this particular way, it is only going to lead to that same common pitfall that I fall into. Mm-hmm. And why not surrender and depend on the Holy Spirit to work in and through me and by faith, walk out what he has called me to do. Um, and that's really what we're using the Enneagram for is to recognize, apologize and own up to, you know, our shortcomings, but also to freely move forward and trusting who we are in Christ and allowing him to work Um, in and through us. So the Enneagram, basically another analogy is that it's an x-ray. It clearly shows you what is not broken and what is broken, but it doesn't do the healing like x-rays don't, but Mm -hmm. the gospel is the healing power of Christ in our lives. 
What about people who are listening and who are like, well, no, there's just like sinners and then there's people who are on the sanctification journey and why the heck would God put people in nine different boxes? Well, he's doing that. He's just, it's just bad or good. Like, sorry, I just how their voices in my head. <laughs> but maybe this is for you, Jeff, for people who, you know, they're like, their Bible alarms are going off and they hear that and they're like, well, why would God use this, whatever, this weird star thing to make us sure. like him? You know, they're freaking out. Yeah, you know, I and and rightfully so because there uh, there's different contributors to how we understand the enneagram, but fundamentally, it's a system of understanding uh, human motives and the behaviors that come from them. And so, uh, like when Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, mm. uh, meaning that our behavior, the way that we um, make decisions, comes from certain inclinations and motives. Well, we we all have to recognize that we approach life and we interpret scenarios through different lenses. And matter of fact, that's what in all of our relationships, I mean, I remember from the show, I think it's This Is Us, and they were saying about something happened in the family, but they all had differing perspectives on, on what happened. Well, what the Enneagram is doing is simply highlighting the lens that you use that help you to engage with life. But it also reveals to us that that's not always the correct lens that we see through our core motivations. That is the core fear, um, the core desire, our core weakness, and our core longing. And that really helps us, uh, particularly in a moment like this, where when uh, the quarantine happened, I saw Beth not merely through my lens, but I could see how she was interpreting our experience and to give all kinds of grace and kindness uh, and compassion so that she could work out what's happening in her interior world. Hmm. I think beyond that too is, you know, the body of Christ. I mean, God created us differently. Like it, he clearly tells us he did that. And it's good for us to recognize each other's abilities, strengths, spiritual giftings, um, the way we're hardwired and, and thinking. I mean, God did not create us all to be the exact same. And that brings a lot of diversity, but in that diversity, we can unify together and glorify him. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're trying to do with what we're presenting with the Enneagram is like Jeff said, how can I take my lens off how I see the world and interpret it and react to it just long enough, you know, not to disrespect it, but long enough to put on his lens and have the understanding and the compassion, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love that Christ is calling us to without, um, the Enneagram though, Jeff and I were trying our very hardest to grow in all of those things. I saw the world through my lens. I didn't know there were really different lenses. It's like, well, I know you're a little bit different, but still you should be like me Yeah, (laughs) and get frustrated. Like, why are you thinking this way? Why are you doing that? Cause, um, but now I'm like, Oh, you literally see the world and interpret it and react to it from a totally different vantage point. Now that doesn't mean when Jeff is struggling or sinning and, or I'm that we're just like, Oh, well, that's just you. We don't want to use the Enneagram as a sword or a shield. We want to use it appropriately. We want to grow to become more like Christ. And this tool can really show each type what that looks like for them. I love that a million percent because it is so just emphasizing because maybe those same people who are like, no, it's either bad or good. 
you know, sinner, saved by grace and whatever. They may be the same people who are like, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I think. And so that may be something we say. And that might be, you know, the good positive, as you were saying, Beth, like the x-ray, like what's the broken and what's not broken. Um, So maybe there is that perspective that they're coming from, but maybe some of that's sinful. And the Enneagram just helps us put language uh, to to helping to to name that <laughs> like what is just this That's natural right. perspective and what's maybe not sanctified yet. Well, and also you know in Paul's writings over the course of years, he first kind of is like, yeah, I'm a sinner, and then like, <laughs> oh wait, I'm I'm actually a pretty big sinner. Mm-hmm. At the very end, he's like, no, I'm the chief of sinners, mm-hmm. and his growth and his knowledge of who he was in Christ and what Christ was in and through him grew all the more. It wasn't that he was seeing himself in a worse light and putting himself down. What he saw was that my weakness is made perfect in his strength and his grace and his perfectedness on the cross. All of those things Christ has done in and through us. So it's not that we want to look at ourselves and beat ourselves up. Actually, our um, mission statement is to help people to see themselves with astonishing clarity so they can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about seeing what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection and applying that immediately in our life because it's who we are right now. All right. Well, I'm convinced. I'm in. I already was, but I am again. Uh, (laughs) But can you go through, uh, I'm guessing, Beth, uh, the nine types? And this is a bonus question that I didn't throw on the outline I sent you, but how might each type be responding right now to this pandemic? Hmm, Yeah. So our type ones are the moral perfectionists, and they're really fearful of being bad, evil, corruptible, and wrong. They really want to be balanced, ethical, moral, and right. And they're going to be responding to the pandemic um, really kind of frustrated that other people aren't following the rules Mm. Uh, and the rules are kind of changing all the time. So that in itself is probably really frustrating to them because they just want to know what is the right thing to do. And they just don't understand why everybody's not following it. So for instance, when the first week of the pandemic really started to unfold, people were hoarding toilet paper and, you know, probably who knows else what they were really frustrated. Like, why are people doing that? That is unethical and not moral and not, you know, justice, there's no good justice here. So that's going to trip up our moral perfectionists, the type ones, the type twos are supportive advisors. They fear being rejected, unwanted, needy, um, and unloved. What they're desiring is to be appreciated, loved, and wanted. And how they're approaching the pandemic is it's actually been really hard for them. Twos are the type of people where they kind of have this superpower of knowing other people's needs and feelings, and they want to insert their help and they do it very confidently because they know what it is. And so they want to help people. It could be through advice. It could be gifts. It could be service, lots of different ways, but they move into people's lives. Um, and the pandemic is really keeping them from that. Now mm-hmm. they're all probably learning over the course of time of how to do this um, virtually, but it's really hard because these are the people that love to be in people's lives, um, spe- specifically uh, physically. And so it's been pretty hard for them. Uh, the type threes are the, uh, sorry, the successful achiever and they fear being exposed, not seen as successful, failing, um, not being admired. So really what they're wanting to be is efficient, mired, accomplished, um, have high status, high regard. And these um, types are going to struggle with the pandemic 
because when it first started out, it's like, well, what does success mean here? Like my whole world is turned upside down. I don't really know what to do. And so they kind of got off kilter and then they may have found, oh, okay, here's the new plan. Like, here's what it's going to look like to be successful in the pandemic. And then again, the rules change. And so what was successful one minute has now changed to another thing. And that can be a real struggle for them because they're wanting to know what achievement looks like and for others to see that they're doing a great job in that. Mm. The type fours are the romantic individualists and they're going to fear being um, emotionally cut off, mundane, defective and flawed. Uh, They really fear just being like everybody else. So what they desire is to be special, different, unique, and their most authentic self. And they're going to struggle with the pandemic because their emotions can either kind of be all in or a lot like, like, oh my gosh, this is huge. This is big. But at the same time, there's a lot of type fours that are like, guys, this is not that big of a deal. Um, And so it's kind of an either or, but what you're going to find is the fours are going to feel misunderstood and at times alone in this pandemic because people aren't understanding them. And so those are the things that we've been hearing from them. Um, The type five is the investigative thinker. They fear being incompetent, incapable, unknowledgeable, um, being overwhelmed by uh, too much interaction with others. They can experience uh, what they feel is catastrophic depletion. Now, what they want is to be insightful, knowledgeable, capable, and competent. And so how they're dealing with a pandemic, it's really interesting. When it first started happening and they're talking about social distancing, the fives are like, yeah, I got that. Like, that's what I do every day. No problem. But here's the interesting thing. Then they said, oh no, but now you've got to be quarantined. And if they're living with other people, it can be really hard, especially if those other people like a lot of interaction, or if you have kids that, you know, are constantly at your feet. Um, that's been really hard because they need a lot of time to process their thoughts and feelings and to restore their internal inter, uh, relational battery. And if you're in quarantine, you're constantly with people. And a lot of times people don't understand why fives need that time alone. And so that can create its own dynamic and problem. Uh, the type six is the loyal guardian. They fear being uh, without guidance, security, and support, blamed, targeted, and physically abandoned. They desire that uh, guidance, security, and support. And it's because they have an inner committee that's constantly chiming in with what could happen uh, negatively and sometimes worst case scenarios. And they're trying to prevent that. And so they're thinking through all the possibilities. Now, here's the interesting thing. The six is most of them, when they go People are thinking, oh, this must be really hard for sixes. Well, sixes have already kind of planned for big case scenarios like this. And so actually they are golden in a crisis. It's before the crisis when they think of all the things that could happen that that they really struggle in. But in a crisis, they kind of get dialed in and they get to work. Um, They're highly responsible, engaging, and loyal to those around them. Um, And so now if they were totally caught off guard for some reason, they could be in a panic. But I would say majority of them are like, you know what, I'm good. Let's get this done. Let's, you know, follow the plan. Um, And so I think that can actually surprise other people more than it actually surprises them. Mm -hmm. Um, Our type sevens are our entertaining optimists. They fear being emotionally um, or having to dive deep into their emotions, trapped in them. 
deprived, limited, bored, and missing out on something fun. They just want to be fully satisfied, happy, and content. Now, at first, when the quarantine started happening, two things were happening. They were really afraid they were going to miss out on a lot of fun things. And they saw the cheap prices for traveling. And a lot of them went and started buying a lot of tickets. (laughs) Now, that was right at the very beginning. And then what was interesting is as the quarantine really got into, you know, substantial lockdown, they were like, I'm not feeling FOMO anymore because there is nowhere to go. Nothing is happening. I am not missing out on anything. And so that I think is really intriguing for them to not have that same uh, level of FOMO as they have had in the past. Hmm. Um, Now, at the same time, it is hard for them to be trapped at home. And so they're trying to think of all the fun things they can do and change it up a little bit um, and whatnot. And I've heard of like families that stay in their own cars, but they do like a hide and seek around town um, just to change it up or do a drive-in movie theater. And so sevens are looking for fun things like that where they can still stay quarantined, but still have fun. Now, our eights are are, our protective challengers, and they fear being harmed, manipulated, controlled, and at the mercy of injustice. They want to protect themselves and those in their inner circle. So really, eights are dialed into, what do I need to do to protect myself and my family or my group or my uh, team or my country? So it's kind of whatever they put in that inner circle. And they are ready to do whatever it takes. They're highly generous. They'll get things done and they will plow a path for you. Mm. And so they're really motivated at making sure they take care of those that they love. Now, our type nines, that's my type, the peaceful mediator. They hate conflict, tension of any kind. Um, They fear being overlooked, uh, loveless, and without um, connection with others. They just desire harmony. Uh, inner peace and stability inside. So nines are kind of going through several phases. There'll be a phase where they're like, guys, it's going to be fine. This is no problem. Like, let's just kind of feel it through. And then they start to see the news in reality. And then they get overwhelmed with anxious thoughts and their mind races. And it becomes so much that they shut down and they kind of check out and then they go through that cycle again and again and again. Mm. So those are the nine types um, and kind of how they're experiencing it through the pandemic. Okay. So I'm going to keep going on this pandemic path because it's important <laughs> in the sense that, I mean, you read the marital stats coming out of China and et cetera, in Asian countries that are, are more releasing from shelter in place. And as we're starting to do that in the States slowly, um, the divorce rates are astronomical. It's like 25 to 50% increase uh, the divorce lawyers are seeing. And so what's going on? <laughs> How do you guys interpret this? Or if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, okay, I can name my type maybe right this second and we're in a hot mess. I, like, uh, what do we, where do we start? Wow. That's a, um, a meaningful question. I, I know that, uh, we had some requests early on when it started to happen because there was some fear that spouses were going to be spending more time together, that we're going to exacerbate existing issues. Right. So, you know, the vast majority of couples, it, it's not, it's nothing new. They're experiencing the culmination of years of unhealthy relating. And it is one of the ways that the Enneagram, if they knew what the Enneagram was, um, how we wrongly use the Enneagram 
uh, one of the idioms that Beth uses is that um, people will object to the Enneagram because they say they don't want to be put in a box. Right. When the Enneagram, when used appropriately, is actually trying to get you out of a particular box that you are seeing the world and you have these internal rules for how you interpret it and respond to it. And you lose the flexibility to be able to engage with another person because you're more committed to your interpretation. Well, when using the Enneagram well, you actually are freer. You're more creative and flexible to be able to engage in the world. So what I know what happened for Beth and I is that we had mutual empathy and compassion and Mm -hmm. kindness. We had vocabulary to be able to describe anxious responses. We had, um, we had developed patterns to be able to give one another space to be anxious without judgment. And so what the Enneagram really prepared us for a situation like this is rather than for us to miss one another and spin out in anxiety, anxiety and conflict become an opportunity for us to connect with one another at deeper levels than uh, we could never have done without uh, a pandemic like this. If we're willing to go there, because because growth is hard. I mean, that's right, because it it does feel like uh, even for Beth and I, when we've been using the Enneagram and been in ministry for many years and paid a lot of money for counseling appointments, it feels like you're walking in wet cement. Well, because... But you know it's worth it yeah, in order to find each and other. And our Enneagram type doesn't just stop. The things that activate my type are going to activate me until I die because right. that's how I see, interpret, and react to the world But if I use it as that rumble strip on the highway, and let's say Jeff were to say or do something that would land on my type nine heart in a way that would activate it, I have the opportunity to be aware, oh, wait, I can feel that really rising up. And I want to kind of react in a way that's probably going to only get us in that typical um, negative dance, fight, an argument, or I can ask clarifying questions, or I can give clarifying statements. I want to tell a brief story because this is what happened for Beth and I. Um, When quarantine happened, Mm -hmm. Beth checked out. Oh, yeah. I mean, Well, I got really, like like on the type nine, I got really anxious that we were going to get sick or one of us, you know, could die. Mm -hmm. And so her immediate expression was, how can I make our family safe? and watching the news. Right. But, and whereas I, I'm a type, Beth's a type nine, I'm a type six. I revved up. Like I, I could see that there was need and that there was opportunity to serve people. And so in my mind, kind of the worst case scenario is happening. And so I'm ready to engage. Hmm. Well, if I apply that to Beth then I would move towards her in criticalness. Like, what are you doing? Why are you disengaging? This is when people need us the most. And then Beth could um, criticize me to say, do you not care about our family? I'm trying to slow things down so that we can be protected and not get sick. Mm. Well, what ends up happening is, is that we saw each other and just named it and affirmed it. Mm. I, Bethy, I see you need space. I know eventually you're going to come out of kind of creating, trying to secure security. And she affirmed me, like, I'm so thankful that you're engaged in helping people right now. 
and um, and serving them creatively rather than criticizing and judging one another. Um, but it was all related to our Enneagram type. Yeah, and we can also more clearly state what our needs are and give space for the struggle, um, the grief, the sorrow, what you're going through, but also the space to grow in mm-hmm. in right timing. Because I think had Jeff really, let's say, harped on me, like, let's go, like, get more engaged, I, it probably would have done the opposite. And oh, it would have totally sent you into the hole even further. Yeah. And so, um, so I think just that understanding and compassion and empathy goes so far in our relationships. Um, but if we don't understand why the other person is doing what they're doing, you, you're only, you're trying to give compassion, but through your own lens. Well, I remember, and not just on the negative side, but even on the positive side. So Beth had a couple of opportunities to record a podcast. And then she was also coaching someone and she became coach Beth again. She became alive and engaged again. Mm. And as a husband who knows my type nine wife, I was able to say, Hey, you need to be coaching more because you're coming alive there. You're not just sheltering uh, in your interior world, but something's happening inside of you. Um, And so there's actually, because knowing your type, not only is it what they're experiencing in anxiety, but when they're coming out and what it looks like for them to grow, uh, it helps uh, in any relationship, whether it's a spousal relationship, a family relationship, a parenting or workplace, it's an opportunity to be able to name where another person is growing as well. Mm. And I just want to speak into something that I've been praying and thinking about and talking with my husband, who's a nine and I'm a, a four, four, three. Um, but we've been talking about the last 24 hours is just kind of the, uh, the quarantine fog uh, and just yes. kind of this sense of like, honestly, and I was talking to my seven, my seven sister um, yesterday and we're like, was like life before the pandemic a dream or is now a dream? Or is like the hope of ever getting out of this a dream? Like it all feels like a dream state. And so mm-hmm. I I honestly, when I pray about it and put my gospel lens on and just like Jesus asking him, what are you doing now? So this is more big, big, big picture gospel looking at it. I honestly think, guys, that we, even if you're listening to this and you're hearing, you get, you, you've found your type or you know it and you're hearing, you're like, yeah, there's marriage tension. Yeah, there's roommate tension, but you're in the fog The purpose of seeking unity with your spouse, with your friends, with the church in this time isn't just because unity is great. It's because it's a gospel metaphor, dear ones, if you're married. You finding your spouse's heart and you looking from their perspective and you seeking unity and you dying to yourself to be one with them shows the world, God, how Jesus died to be one with us and how we're supposed to die to ourselves to be one with him. So I just, I need to look in the church in their eyes right now and say, dear ones, wake up. (laughs) I know this feels like a foggy dream state, but this is worth it. Not just because unity is great and don't get divorced because that's bad. It's because it's a gospel metaphor and we need each other right now. We need our spouses and we need the church right now. We need this unifying. And so if we can use tools and words in this really beautiful, helpful book and the words that you're hearing now to help us be one. So the gospel goes forth now, no matter what happens in the future, that's worth it. (laughs) That's worth it. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. I mean, it, uh, I, we, there's a lot of things that we cannot control. Um, but whatever we will face, we will face together. Yeah. 
So I just got to ask these, I just have like two more questions and I, I want to let you guys go. And I, I would love to do 10,000 podcasts with you, but I, I got to let <laughs> yeah, you we live, love talking about it. <laughs> live your lives too. Uh, so guys just get their book and they, they on your Enneagram you can take a test and you can find all sorts of beautiful resources. If this is, uh, you know, alerting something in you, but just a question that pops up for me is, are there any marriage types that you're like, dude, they shouldn't get married. Y'all are in trouble. <laughs> right, right. Yes, it is types that are unhealthy. That's right. It's <laughs> yeah. two unhealthy types. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. And that's it. it and I'm, I'm not actually, I mean, I'm laughing about it, but I'm actually very serious because any two types at their healthiest are the most dynamic life-giving, joyful types that you will ever want to be. As a matter of fact, I mean, you mentioned that you're a four and your husband's a nine, you know, on some websites there, they'll almost warn you like, that's, that's not a good idea. Like there's going to be a lot of problems there. But no. and I'm like, no, that's so not true. Like, there's no relationship that God can't restore. Yeah. I'm, I, there's no sin that He is anxious and despondent about. Like, right. it, it. Well, all the types. Like, I mean, when I think about a four and a nine, I'm like, yeah, I can totally see that couple getting together because the four is looking for someone with emotional steadiness mm-hmm. and that can listen and be receptive to them. Um, can understand their point of view and that's willing to, to go to the depths with them. Yes, he does. And, (laughs) and then nines are looking for someone to bring them alive, to Mm. let them go deeper, to bring creativity and excitement to the relationship. And that's what fours do. And so all that to be said, I am being very honest, any two couple types, you could be an eight and an eight, a four and a seven, a five and a two, I mean, you name it, as long as you're healthy, you're aligned with the truth of the gospel, you're living out who you are in Christ, that relationship can be so powerful and dynamic. Mm-hmm. Anytime we start to live in our own strength or misaligned with the truth of the gospel, that's when things really start to struggle and fall apart. And we're all going to be there. All of our relationships ebb and flow, but that's where we always have to surrender and depend on God to work in and through us individually and come together as one to work through our relationship. And so like Jeff and I being a six and a nine, it's a pretty common couple type. Um, but man, every day we have our own struggles. I I wouldn't want to marry a six, just knowing what unhealthiness I bring to a marriage. Or vice versa, (laughs) you know? Um, but all that to be said, I mean, if people will focus on their own heart and do their own inner work with the Holy spirit and allowing him to work in and through them, the Holy spirit is going to make them shine, uh, be a blessing to not only their own personal life, but to others around them and bring God much glory. One uh, additional thought that as we, since we've written the book and have uh, worked with couples and done live events, uh, the phrase that we've come up with is what first attracted you will eventually frustrate you. Uh, Meaning there's usually an some level of attraction that happens between two types that they are seeking to address something themselves through this other person. Mm -hmm. But later on that will become the very arena that they'll need to work on as a couple. So for the nine and four. Well, and actually what's interesting about all of the, there's 45 couple types. Um, And what we decided to do beyond just the book is we've made 45 courses, one for each couple type. Mm. 
And we literally talk about their specific dynamics of when they're unhealthy or not doing well, but also where the hope of Christ comes in and how he renews and strengthens them and makes them healthy and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's because it's just our Becoming Us online course. And it goes through eight modules and it has a workbook that's 64 pages long just for those two types together. Like I said, it could be a double type, like a yes. three and a three or a nine and a nine or whatever type or any of the other combinations. Dude. I need to give me some of that. <laughs> um, and guys, I do want to listen, uh, just a note too, out of their book, for those of you who are listening and you've been a part of this podcast for a while, you know, we talk about something called core needs and the the phrase that they use in their book, Jeff and Beth use is core longings. And I just love that interaction between core needs or core longings and the Enneagram. It just, it helped to make a lot of sense. I also really appreciate um, Jeff and Beth. I appreciate how you guys also add in this whole perspective of childhood wounding. Um, I think when I was first like understanding the Enneagram, I was like, yeah, but your dad's just like that. So you just responded to your dad like that. And so I like how you guys are like, no, let's talk about that. Um, so I, I really, I can't, I cannot tell you guys, I, I really recommend just reading through this and just, just to get another lens. It's not the word of God, but it really utilizes the gospel and will give you such a, a beautiful perspective to understand each other, especially when we're all trapped in the same house uh, with the same people. Um, but Jeff and Beth, before uh, we let you go, what's an exhortation perhaps that you have for listeners right now who are like, huh? I don't know. They're maybe feeling a little trapped still and and maybe have a a glimmer of hope and maybe just feel overwhelmed by both what's going on in the world and and maybe even by this conversation because it feels like another thing to do. What would you say to them? Well, the biggest thing, uh, I'm mindful of Paul's words in Romans that it's the Lord's kindness that leads us uh, to repentance. Yeah. And number one, we need to be very kind and patient with ourselves. A lot of our behavior right now is purely reactive because there are fundamental needs that we have as people, humans, having been made in the image of God that, um, that we're dealing with right now. Uh, just our own physical safety yeah. uh, is a really big deal right now. For a season there is like, what's going to happen to the food chain? Should we store up food? Uh, these are all understandable behaviors whenever people get anxious. And so treat your own heart with kindness. Um, as a matter of fact, even when it comes to parenting, marriage, whatever it may be, to be kind with your initial responses to things. But number two, to be kind to those around you because they're experiencing the same thing. And we're going to want people to change. We're going to want people um, to do something different so that we're not as reactive or that we could depend on them. But if we are willing to receive the kindness that we have been uh, given by Christ, we are able to extend that kindness to those around us. And so by taking care of ourselves, we actually become better um, agents of seeing and hearing and being available to those around us who are in need. Mm. Beautiful. Man, Jeff, Beth, thank you so much for sharing your heart, your story, and your wisdom with us today. It was our joy. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to be with you. 
Now, guys, that book, Becoming Us, I will link to it on our podcast episode page, as well as that test you can take if you're like, what am I? Um, don't don't let other people say who you are. You are you. No, but it is helpful to just take it. And, and even if you're like, oh, that doesn't resonate. That's our buzzword on this podcast. But if that doesn't resonate with you, just read through them. And there may be something that really just stands out. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But we do have a question of the week for next week, which is, is there a song in your house that your housemates or you yourself just on your own like to sing a lot? Like, is there one that's always in your head? Is it, or you guys always like, let's turn this one on. And this is our family dancing song. I don't know. I grew up in a very canary-like house growing up and we always had songs we were singing and we do still now. Maybe I'll get mad on and he'll sing. That's probably not right. Uh, But (laughs) I want to hear it. What's the song? What's going on? I just want to thank Beth and Jeff again for being a part of the podcast. And again, I'll link to their all of their yourenneagramcoach.com things. But guys, for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, from this four and this, Steve, what are you? I'm a nine. And from that nine and Matt the nine, <laughs> we just want to thank you for being a part of it. And Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Bye.